Welcome, friends, to another episode of Footsteps of the Messiah. This podcast will be dedicated to looking at teru, uh, the parasha of Terumah, and more specifically on the Haftarah, which we will look at in some level of depth and explore a few insights. So, uh, we will go ahead and get started with our customary prayer. Alright, well thank you for joining us. And I'd like to just start out with telling you a little bit about Parashat Tuma. So Tuma is specifically a wave offering. So it is in the beginning of the verses from Exodus 25, 1 through 27, 19. Usually, as you probably know, we get the name of the Pasha from something significant found in the first line, typically, of the Pasha itself. So the name of the Pasha, Truma, means offering, and that is found in Exodus Shemot 25, 2. So, uh, this is basically what Teruma is about. Uh, Moshe receives instructions on how to build a special sort of house for God called the Mishkan. And this is where God's presence will dwell and where the Jews will be able to perform services for God. So it was the original synagogue in a way. And synagogues today are actually modeled after the Mishkan, the tabernacle of old. So, Hashem gives Moshe detailed instructions on how to build the Mishkan, also called the sanctuary, so that it could travel with the with the tribes of Israel in the desert. <clears throat> Excuse me. All the objects in the Mishkan had rings attached, so poles could be put inside with which to carry uh, that specific vessel. So there was an inner chamber in the back. And this was divided with a beautiful woven curtain that contained an ark made of gold and wood covered with gold and two keruvim. Uh, keruv is, funny enough, the same root as korbanot, which is uh, to draw near. So the offerings are... I believe well, they might be spelled differently. You know what? Let me check before I give you a uh, opinion on that. That might be incorrect from the original Hebrew. Okay, that was actually incorrect. So I repent. The proper spelling of Kelov angel is uh, or cherub, which is I don't love that word because it just uh, makes me picture some sort of strange, bizarre baby angel looking thing with a halo and a, a pair of wings but anyway that is how you spell it so it's kaf resh vav vet keruv i do not know what that root means off the top of my head and is not spelled the same as the word korbanot for offering so that was wrong please forgive me all right so uh, the inner chamber in the back, divided with a beautiful woven curtain that contained the ark made of golden wood, was covered with gold and two kruvim, figures of angel children. Well, I guess they 
I believe one was supposed to be male and one was female, and they actually turned miraculously. They turned away from each other if Israel was uh, not close to God, and if they were um, they were close to God and they were um, working in in God's favor, if they were receiving the favor of God with their righteousness and with their adherence to the commandments they and were being faithful to God and to each other the angels I believe uh, turned toward each other now in the ark the two tablets that God gave Moshe at Mount Sinai were in there and in the main room they were supposed to build a table to hold a special bread called lechem hapanim and the bread of the face and a menorah or a candle stand or a lamp stand of pure gold lit every day, and a square altar where they bring the katoet, which is the uh, offering made of spices, so the incense offering. Now, the Mishkan itself had three walls made from 48 wooden boards that clicked into one another and was covered with tapestries and curtains made of animal skin. And the fourth wall was an entranceway covered by a woven curtain surrounding the whole Mishkan uh, was a courtyard. Sorry, that last surround. No, that last part was a separate sentence. Surrounding the whole Mishkan, there was a courtyard. Okay, so uh, let's take a look at uh, a little bit more of the Haftarah. And well, let's take a look at the Haftarah, and we'll look at how it relates to the Parsha. So the Haftarah is 1 Kings 5, 26 through 6, 13. Now, the portion of Tomah is devoted, devoted to the construction of the tabernacle, um, meaning, you know, this week's parasha, Tomah, is devoted to the construction of the tabernacle. And this uh, is the first sanctuary built for God, and it was to be constructed with contributions from all of Israel. So centuries later, a permanent house for God was to be built in Jerusalem, Jerusalem. So just like the tabernacle, the temple was built with funding and labor from the entire people of Israel. So during this time of the temple, fast forward several hundred, or I think it was 480 years later, the time was uh, that of King Shlomo. King Shlomo. Now let me take a look here. I believe, let me get you the right number of years. So, the years that it took to build the tavern, I'm sorry, the temple is counted from the Exodus. And let me look that up for you. So, the actual, well, I'll just read you what it says from 1 Kings 6 1. Now it came about in the 480th year after the sons of Israel came out of the land of Egypt in the fourth year of Shlomo's reign over Israel in the month Tziv, which is Iyar. That's if you, you have to count from Nisan since this is post Exodus 12 when the calendar was reordered by the Lord. Uh, so in the month Tziv or Iyar, called is what we, what we call today the second month that he Shlomo 
began to build the house of the Lord. And that's 1 Kings 6.1. So for several years, Shlomo's workforces prepared the materials for the building of the temple. And they began the actual construction of the temple around 960, that's 960, before Common Era, BCE. So 1 Kings tells us that he began building 480 years after, exodus, after the exodus from Egypt. And scholars debate whether or not this date can be used to accurately date the exodus. So taken at face value, the exodus from Egypt should have occurred around 1440 BCE. Now the building of the temple commenced in the fourth year of Shlomo's reign during the second month. And this is the only instance outside the Torah where a biblical event is dated from the Exodus. And it connects back to the building of the tabernacle, which is also dated from the Exodus. And if you look at Shemot 40.17, it says, Now in the first month of the second year, so Nisan of year two, that they came out of Egypt, on the first day of the month, the tabernacle was erected. The significance of dating the event from Exodus is that God redeemed the children of Israel for the sake of dwelling among them in the tabernacle and the temple. So we look at Exodus 29:46. I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt that I might dwell among them. Now if that's betocham, that really is more in them that I may dwell in them. But I have to look at Exodus 29:46 for the Hebrew. So I'd like to teach you a few words that if you're going to study the temple, and you absolutely should study the temple, uh, and I'll spell them for you in Hebrew so you can look them up and write them down. Um, three key words that should be uh, very important to you in your temple study. So uh, I'm going to read this from the First Fruits of Zion Torah Club commentary on Parsha or Haftarah Truma. So David drew up, King David Melech drew up the architectural plans for the temple under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Before his death, he passed the plans to Shlomo. Shlomo designed the temple with three primary sections, each corresponding to one of the major divisions of the tabernacle. The Holy of Holies in the tabernacle became the inner chamber of the temple, called the Devil, Dalit, Dalit Vet Yudresh, Devil. So every day in the Amidah, we pray for the return of God's presence and the rebuilding and the reestablishment of the temple and the service of the temple in the Devil. The, now, the holy place or sanctuary of the tabernacle, which has the menorah, the table, the shulchan, and the golden altar, the Mizbeach Zahav, became the sanctuary or great hall. And that is called the Heichal. He, Yod, Kaf, Lamed. Heichal. It's actually Chaf. He, Yod, Kaf, Chaf, Lamed. So, sorry. He, Yod, Chaf, Lamed. Four letters. Um, the great hall of the temple was the Heichal. And the third word, the Ulam, which is Aleph, Vav, Lamed, final Mem, Mem Sofit. The, the outer court of the tabernacle between the altar and the holy place became the porch. That's called the ulam. So those are three key words that you can learn to start your temple study. All right, so uh, let's take another look. Let's go back to an overview of the Haftarah. 
So uh, the portion of Troma devoted to the construction of the temple, we read that, and the people were supposed to contribute. So the time uh, of, of King Solomon was a time that can truly be defined as the golden age of Jewish history. Now, Shlomo had pretty much done everything that you could possibly want to do. So not only was his kingdom uh, a reign of peace and uh, very successful, but his reign also saw the superiority of Israel over all other lands. And the people enjoyed a vast, uh, you know, a great amount of, of happiness and affluence. Now, God had granted Shlomo unprecedented wisdom and understanding, and people flocked from all over to learn from him. Now, one of Israel's neighboring kings, Hiram of Tyre, was a friend to David and was exceptional, as most of Israel's neighbors were, at war with Oh, sorry, this was exceptional, is what the article says. As most of Israel's neighbors were at war with David at one point or another. So now that Hiram had heard that Shlomo had ascended the throne, he sent a delegation carrying greetings to the new king. So after accepting the delegation, King Shlomo sent the message back with them to Hiram, saying, as you know, my father David, and this is straight from 1 Kings 5, my father David was unable to build a house for the Lord his God because of all the wars we had to, he had to wage. But now the Lord has granted, the Lord my God has granted me peace. So I plan to build this house. As God told my father, please allow me to send my workers who will assist yours in cutting wood for the temple. Whatever the expenses are for this, I will pay them. Since you know, as I do, that no one can cut cedars quite the way the Tyrians can, or Tyrians. So Hiram, very impressed by Shlomo, was more than glad to help. Now the Haftarah begins with the launch of the huge project and it goes into the details of the work and the workers needed for construction. And as we said, four years into Shlomo's reign, the construction of the temple began in the month of Er. Now what's interesting about this is that Yeshua was prophesied to come in the fourth day of the seven-day plan of God, each day being a millennium, and this is based on rabbinic insight and also um, Christian and Messianic Jewish uh, views of God having a 7,000-year plan. And in Jewish history and Jewish commentary, it's well known that uh, the world is uh, less than 6,000 years old, and at the end of 6,000 years, the Messiah will come, or um, those of us who believe it's Yeshua, the Messiah will return. So four years into his reign, so four, if you look at that as 4,000 years into God's reign over the earth, he brought Yeshua to planet earth. And four years into Shlomo's reign, he started building the temple of God, which Yeshua was the temple is a picture of Yeshua. The temple is symbolic of all of us as believers that the Holy Spirit lives in. Um, you know, the Apostle Paul, Rav Shaul, says our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Let me find that for you. And that's going to be in First Corinthians 6. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not on your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit because Yeshua is the temple 
first. And he said, you know, tear this, build, tear this, uh, if you tear this temple down, I'll rebuild it in three days. And he was talking about his body, his spirit, but he was also talking about historically the temple was, uh, he was murdered and then resurrected in the year 30 common era, 40 years later, which is still at the beginning, the very, very beginning of the fifth day. So like around the year 4,070 from creation, let's just say for the sake of discussion. Sorry, friends. And that's the beginning of day five. So if you, every thousand years is a day, you have zero to 1,001, right? The beginning of the 1,001st year is the beginning of day two. So 1001 all the way through 2000 is day two. 2001 to 3000, that's day three. No, I take it back. 2000, yeah, 2001 to 3000 is day three. 3001 to 4000 is day four. So any year, pick a year, 4042, 4563, 4999. Any of those years, anywhere between 4,001 and 4,999, all the way till the last day of the year, right before Rosh Hashanah, okay, is going to be inside day five. Now, I know it's a little confusing because you think, well, the year of 4,000s, right, the, the millennium that starts with the number four, well, that's day four. No, 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 friends, because remember, we start with the year zero, right? So zero to 1,000 is day one. 1001 to 2000 is day two draw it out if you have to you know horizontally is easiest just draw seven uh draw like a ladder and then turn it on its side right so you've got these sections of 1000 years a piece and each one is considered a day based on psalm 90 verse 4 and uh i gotta find this verse for you first peter or second peter i can never remember if it's First Peter or Second Peter three eight, a day to you, Lord, is a thousand years, and that is in I'm gonna guess First Peter three eight, but let's see. Second uh, Peter three eight. Okay, so Second Peter three eight. Yeah, and it it just flat out says it's quoting Psalm ninety verse four. If you look in any commentary. So Peter says it, and of course we're, you know, we're getting it from the Greek, but Peter says that do not, 2 Peter 3, 8 through 9, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends, with the day of Lord, sorry, I, I just transpose that. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some can understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance. In other words, he's given us plenty of time to repent so that at the end, if anybody hasn't repented, God forbid, then they're, out, they're without excuse. So the first note is that the context of First Peter has nothing to do with days of creation. It's, uh, it's, a, it's an illusion. It's connection to the day of the Lord. So the day of the Lord is littered throughout scripture that god has a literal thousand year day that is all his own and you can look in um, zechariah where it says the lord 
has a day that is unique, and I believe it's in Zechariah 14, yeah, 14.7, a day known only to the Lord without day or night, but when evening comes, there will be light. And I believe this is what Yeshua was quoting when he said, but about that day and hour, no one knows, not even the Son, only the Father. I believe he was referring to this verse or this passage in Zechariah 14. All right, so back to Truma. So I believe Shlomo did that. He started the building in the, after four years. Four years into his reign, four years are completed. It's the fifth year of his reign, just like Yeshua started building his house in at the end of four days on God's calendar in the fifth day of the millennial calendar. So... I hope that made sense and that I went slow enough for you to grasp the math in the calendar because without a visual aid, it uh, is challenging to understand. So, uh, the word of God came to Shlomo, reminded him that it was faithfulness to the Torah that would guarantee that, his, that God's presence would rest within the temple and adherence to the Torah would also allow God to keep his promise to David that Shlomo's reign would have continuity for generations to come. Now, the Jerusalem Talmud, or well, let me go back. So some commentaries explain that the system put in place uh, for the work that they had to do. Uh, well, let me back up and read a little bit about that. The 30,000 men selected to go to Lebanon and chop the lumber for the construction had an interesting work schedule. Workers were sent to Lebanon all at once, or sorry, not sent to Lebanon all at once, but rather divided into three groups of 10,000. Each group was to spend one month in Lebanon, after working for a month, return home for two months while the other groups worked. So some commentaries explain this system was put in place due to the difficulty of the work they had to do. Now, the Jerusalem Talmud, however, states that being fruitful and multiplying is more dear to the Lord, blessed be he, than the Beit HaMikdash. So this idea is deduced from the fact that the workers would have spent only a limited time in Lebanon and more time at home in Israel. Now, although this meant that the temple's construction might take longer, it was worth it in light of the fact that these men were staying home at, uh, enough time to, to uh, have children and be there for their children. And the mitzvah of getting married and having children is classified in halakhic literature as a mitzvah rabbah, great mitzvah. And that's in the Shulchan Aruch. Uh, the term served to explain why this mitzvah is prioritized even over other mitzvot. One of the obvious reasons behind this is that the fulfillment of all other mitzvot depends on having Jewish people to fulfill them. And the Torah was given to man, not to the ministering angels. That is a quote from Sefer HaChinuch. Now what emerges from this passage in the Talmud is that the height of importance assigned to having children extends in the broader sense to every additional child a couple can bring to this world. Now, as Maimonides puts it, every, anyone who adds a soul to the Jewish people is considered as if he built an entire world. Alright, friends, so let's take a look at a little bit more of the Haftarah before we wrap it up. This is actually a pretty deep, uh, as you know, most Haftarahs are. I mean, every Haftarah has its own very unique character and so much we could go into. So it's hard to pick because there's a lot here. That's very interesting regarding the temple, dimensions, uh, prophetic understanding. So I'll just read you a couple more things. So 
the manpower was both Jewish and non-Jewish that Shlomo recruited for the building of the temple, as we discussed, because the Tyrians um, were not of Israel. I shouldn't say Jewish, but is of Israel, right? Not from the tribes. And also discussed are the hewing and transportation of the stone, the laying of the foundation, as well as the dimensions of the Holy Temple, which are all, every single component material is symbolic. Every single component material is important. It wouldn't be in the Tanakh if it wasn't. So um, as you read it, learn the Hebrew, pick a few words, try to uh, do word studies and see what the Lord shows you because everything, especially it did, learning about the temple is the essence of the entire book. That why do you think the in Judaism, little kids at age three begin to learn Leviticus, the offerings, uh, the korbanot. Uh, some people say sacrifices. Um, the One of the directors of the Temple Institute says that the word sacrifices is the S word. And it's really not a good translation. Korbanot are things that draw you near. It comes from the word keruv, not, not the word I said earlier, which is spelled differently with kaf, and instead this is kof, resh, korba, well, korbanot is kof, uh, kof, vav, resh, bet, nun, vav, tav, or korban. Korban is, is singular, so korbanot is plural, offerings. And they're that, they're, they're animal offerings which draws the, the offerer nearer to God. So that's why they're literally the word to uh, near, nearby, is in the root of the word for offerings. It doesn't work in English, so you have to learn Hebrew if you really want to understand the scriptures and want to understand God better. You know, strive to read, understand, and even write and speak Hebrew. It will change your walk with the Lord for the better. It'll take you to a new level. So, also discussed are the hewing and transportation of the stone, laying of the foundation. Okay, I read that. The Haftarah ends with God's words to, a word to King Shlomo. This house which you are building, if you walk in my statutes and execute my ordinances and keep all my mitzvot, my commandments, to walk in them, then I will establish my word with you, which I spoke to David your father. And I will dwell among the children of Israel, and I will not forsake my people. So if you're thinking, oh, well, you know, um, Yeshua has come and, and left us, you know, the grace to not have to do the, the commandments. That's a lie. That's an anti-Semitic replacement theology, theology, satanic lie from the pit of hell. He would not, the Lord would not have given this promise to Shlomo if he could not walk in God's statutes, execute his ordinances, keep all of his commandments, and establish, and and adhere to his word so that God could establish what the Lord says is my word with you, Shlomo, which I spoke to David, your father. The Lord doesn't set up traps for us or uh, un, unattainable bars of standards, okay? So he could actually do them. Now, there's this Christian misnomer that... Uh, the that the Jews or Israel they were trying to attain righteousness through the commandments and nobody can attain righteousness through the commandments not even one person and that is true the second part not the first part not all Jews and not all of Israel believed that salvation was through observance of the mitzvot obedience to God 
is what and a, the reward that comes with that knowing the Lord and the blessings that are promised in the Torah and other places in the Bible those are the reward for obedience and being an obedient son like how hard is that to figure out that that's right to do the Lord sets it up very serious very very simply he says here's my list here's my to-do list for your life go and don't break them and try to do try to do as many of them as you can and try all the stuff I have for you not to do just stay away from that I mean it's just like any parent today the the parent child relationship husband wife have children give them a list of stuff to do they give them rules and guidelines try to raise them right that's all it is so the meets vote the commandments are there for our maturity our growth and our connection to God they form just think of it as a massive trunk line, high speed, high, high speed uh, internet connection to the realm of heaven and God's and dwelling place where Yeshua resides waiting to come back. The, the more meets vote you do and the negative meets vote that you observe and don't do those things that the Torah says not to do, the greater your connection will be to God. It's not for salvation. It's actually to get you lead you to salvation especially if you're jewish and you're observing the mitzvot they're to lead you to the messiah and then once people especially non-jews come to believe in the jesus is jewish not was is and always will be he was is and always will be not just was he didn't change he didn't convert when he went to heaven into a christian or into a non-jew okay so Maybe one day the term Jew will not be essential, but right now it is because we're in what's called the Alam Hazay, this world, the, the, the world of, of now. But the Alam Haba, the world to come, uh, there may not be as much distinction. I, I don't know. But we have to understand that Israel is supposed to be a light to the nations. You can read this in Isaiah 42. I believe it's Isaiah 44, maybe 46. Certainly Isaiah 60 or 66. So we see, and if you want to look up all the scriptures of Israel being a light to the nations, I mean, we see it in the Psalms as well. We see it in uh, the Hallel Psalm, Psalms 113 to 118 that we read every festival. And even the in-between days coming up for Passover, every day of Passover week during Chagamatzah, we're going to, I believe, we read the Hallel Psalms, we I believe we even read them uh, for some of the minor festivals, but um, certainly at Rosh Chodesh, uh, the new moon, we read them. And you'll see Israel is a light to the nations. Israel is supposed to be a light to the nations. Okay, so why would God give them commandments and then all of a sudden because Yeshua came and was resurrected and left, all of a sudden now, how are they going to be light to the nations if we don't have to learn about the commandments? They're not for salvation, friends. Please understand, they are for understanding the ways of God. If you all of a sudden got moved to China, because, well, China, God forbid, right? But let's just say you got moved to a foreign nation, okay? Let's say Israel, okay? And you're not Jewish, you're not Israeli, you've never been there before. Are you going to just retain your American ways? You'll retain your American identity, your American passport. You're going to go to Udpan. You're going to learn the language. You're going to learn the customs. You're going to learn what you can't do, what you can do. You're going to learn the laws of the land. You're going to learn the commandments, the statutes, the laws, the ordinances, the guidelines, the cultural standards, 
the geographic boundaries where you cannot go, where you can go anytime you want, what's safe, what's dangerous, okay? But you're not just going to go over there and, and just keep acting like a, an American in your language, your, your, your talk and your walk and all your actions. You're going to conform to the social standards of that place. Well, welcome to the Commonwealth of Israel. Did you know that if you're a believer in Yeshua, that you have been made part of the Commonwealth of Israel? You must read the New Testament as well as the Hebrew Bible over and over and over and ask the Lord to speak to you. Okay, so this got on a little bit of a tangent, but uh, Ephesians 2.12 says, "There." well, I'll start with 11. Therefore, remember that you once non-Jews or Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, the, the Jews or the people of Israel, made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Messiah, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers, nochrim or gerim, from the covenants of promise. Do you know what the covenants of promise are? That's covenants, plural, friends. If you don't know, you need to start, you need to go and do a study of all the covenants, and maybe we can do one in, in this podcast one day, of all of the co covenants of promise and who they are to from Genesis 1 through Revelation 22. So you were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Messiah Yeshua, you who once were far off, having been brought near, okay, same root as Korban, brought near by the blood of Messiah. You were drawn near to God through the Korban HaMashiach, the, the offering of Messiah. All right, friends. So uh, that also reminds me, uh, I encourage you to read Romans 9 through 11 and memorize as much of it as you can. Familiarize yourself with it because it's key to understanding the connection between your salvation and the people of Israel. May you be blessed and encouraged and Bezrat Hashem. Can you hear Atzon? We will see you soon with another episode. God bless you. And may you make Yeshua the light of your life. And may he guide your walk now and forever. B'Shem Yeshua. I wish you well. Brachot, blessings, and shalom.